That was great. Holy cow. You've done this. You've done this a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, first podcast. podcast. (laughs) This is episode 73 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. The martial artist is in the house. up ladies welcome to the biz women rock podcast i'm your host katie kermitzos and i have the pleasure of bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the globe in all sorts of different industries so that you can learn from their business journeys if this is the first time that you're stopping by the biz women rock podcast i really want to thank you so much for listening if you are a longtime listener, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here. It truly means so much that you're really getting so much out of these business stories. I just want to give a huge shout out to Holly Ray Eversold Jackson, who's a member of our BWR Connect, which is the private Facebook group. The group is there, by the way, so that women can ask questions like she did last week, which was, how can you retain employees on a budget? And it sparked up a great conversation, which is the entire point of this private group. So if you're not on the group yet, I would highly recommend you go to bizwomenrock.com, go opt in, and you will be invited to the group, okay? So thanks, Holly Ray. Are you ready to supercharge your business forward? Do you want to learn from and hang out with like-minded entrepreneurs? Do you want a really great excuse for an awesome vacation? Then you have to come and join me on this year's Marketers Cruise. Every single year, we go out of Tampa, go travel to Cozumel, and not only do we have such a great time hanging out with everyone, but you get access to the most amazing education that will truly impact your business. The cruise is October 23rd through the 27th. And I highly recommend that you get your tickets ASAP because rooms are selling out fast. I totally launched this entire podcast because of what I heard on the cruise last year. And I would love for your business to have that same impact. So come with me. I will be there. I will be talking about podcasting. I would love to see you there. All you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com. I truly could not be more excited to introduce the guest today to you. Her name is Chris Rodriguez, and she's the founder of Gracie Pack MMA. She is a martial arts amazing woman. She has studied in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and does a lot of mixed martial arts, and she has the largest studio, MMA studio, in the Tampa Bay area. She specifically focuses on kids' programs, also offers a lot of parent programs as well and adult programs, Um, but she has a studio of 12,000 square feet. She was the first female black belt under the Gracie lineage, and you're going to find out who Gracie is and why that's important. She really digs in with us about her history as a martial artist, why she got involved in that, her career as a fighter, and why she's translated that and how well she's translated that into a business teaching kids about martial arts. Strap in your seatbelts and let's get going. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to be doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm very, very equally excited. I'm kind of happy that we're not in the same room because you have been a uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu lady for a long time, a mixed martial arts master. So I think it's probably good that we're talking over phone right now, <laughs> just in case I <laughs> just in case I upset you with any of these questions. <laughs> yeah, I can't choke you out from over here, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm very interested 
obviously in your industry and the experience that you have had as really a fighter and um, and obviously the business that you've built on top of that I have had an interest in martial arts and about as far as that interest took me was like taking one karate class when I was probably like 16 years old and that about ended there but it's always fascinated <laughs> me <laughs> so um I would love to know um your history with martial arts like how did you even get involved with martial arts in the first place Sure. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the day. It was March 15th, 1993. It was the very first time I ever stepped on the mat. Uh, my mom did judo growing up in the Bronx, so I guess you could say it was kind of in my blood to be uh, to be into martial arts. And when she, uh, when we lived in New Jersey, she would take these aerobics classes at the Y. And I would go, and right next door to the aerobics classes, they had martial arts classes. And I was just absolutely fascinated with it. And when we moved down to New Jersey, my mom picked me up from uh, from school. I was in, uh, like, the first grade, and she said, you want to try some martial arts classes out? And I said, absolutely. And we went right from school, and that was March 15, 1993, and I seriously have not stepped off the mat since then. So it's been uh, an awesome journey for about 21 years now. That is so cool. So what kind of, like, how does one get involved in that? Because obviously there's a, t a lot of different types of martial arts. What was your journey into them? Like, what were you introduced to first, and then where did that take you? Sure. You know, it's crazy. Actually, this study that there are more martial arts schools in the world than there are McDonald's. Are you um, kidding I mean, me? You, yeah. <laughs> you think every every block you go on, there's there's McDonald's. And really, there's a martial arts school pretty much on every block, you know, especially here in the Tampa, Florida area. Um, when I first got started, my mom did a lot of research and she picked what she thought was the most reputable location, you know, near, you know, where we were. Um, it was called the Junri Institute of Taekwondo. So Taekwondo is mainly a martial art that's going to teach you how to punch and how to kick. It's, it's mainly on the feet. Um, and we also integrated some kickboxing. So lots of punches, lots of kicks. Um, but to be honest with you, if an altercation ever would have went to the ground, I would have got my butt kicked. Um, I didn't really start training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is uh, known as submission grappling, which is basically ground fighting, what to do when an altercation hits the ground. I didn't start training in uh, Jiu-Jitsu until I was about 16 years old, and I loved Taekwondo. I, you know, competed from a very young age and had a lot of success in it, but the real, the realness of it, the, you know, the realistic aspect of the self-defense in Taekwondo just really wasn't there, especially for somebody my size. My, uh, my nickname is, is Midget Twister. I'm not the <laughs> tallest uh, girl on the planet, and, you know, I'm, I'm only five foot two. Um, you know, and I always was the smaller opponent. You know, it's the small, smallest girl in class. And, um, you know, the, the thought of getting in an altercation with a, a larger opponent, especially a male, and the thought that I was going to kick them in the head and be able to run and get away was just, was just kind of silly. And, um, you know, it wasn't until really until when I turned 16 and I started learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, that I really started building some serious confidence in myself and my skills and being able to uh, to defend myself. So I started in Taekwondo. It gave me a great, uh, you know, base of, uh, you know, esteem and discipline. There's tons of traditional martial arts values that, you know, have definitely helped me, um, you know, on the mat in jiu-jitsu as well as built my business. But the realness of uh, the self-defense of the art wasn't there until I started taking jiu-jitsu when I was about 16. You know, Chris, I've watched some of your videos um, of you on the mat actually doing your Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And my goodness, like, 
you're on the mat kind of, you know, in this kind of wrestling move with somebody. And then all of a sudden your legs completely go over her <laughs> neck and you're dragging her down and you're flipping her over. That takes incredible conditioning. My goodness. What, like, what kind of workout schedule are you going through in order to train for something like that? Sure. Well, uh, you know, when you're getting ready for a, you know, a specific tournament or a fight or something like that, um, you know, we call it a training camp. And it's a, you know, about a six to eight week period where you really put your body in overdrive. And you normally don't train like that all the time. Your body just wouldn't be able to, you know, withstand it. You know, there are, you know, lots of injuries in a, you know, a combat sport. But when you're getting ready to train for tournaments and for fights, you know, obviously, you know, your diet has got to be on point because you have to make a certain weight, um, you know, and if you don't make that weight, then you don't get to compete. Um, and also that, you know, the, the food that you're putting in your body is going to be fueling it. Um, so, you know, dieting is super, super important. Um, you know, training not just once, one a day, you know, I mean, we would do two times a day, sometimes even three times a day, an early morning session, an afternoon session, an evening session, um, you know, for two to three, you know, hours at a time. And that usually goes on for about six to eight weeks leading up to uh, a competition or a tournament. Now, you are kind of well-known as somebody who has trained under the Royce Gracie name. For those of us who don't understand and are not in the martial arts industry, can you kind of talk about who Royce Gracie was what and what importance that name has and what that truly means for what you have done and what you are doing now? Absolutely. Um, Royce Gracie um, is uh, he's really the guy that, that put mixed martial arts on the map. So you hear a lot about, like, you know, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing and Muay Thai and karate and taekwondo and wrestling, and those are all individual martial arts. And when we say mixed martial arts, that's when we take all of them and we, we put them together. And um, Hoist Gracie was really known for the development of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's considered the most influential figure in the history of MMA, and he really gained his fame by his just utter domination of larger opponents in the UFC. Uh, many people have heard of the UFC. It's the ultimate fighting championship. It's really the highest level of competition training that you can do as a fighter. You fight in an octagon, like an actual cage. Um, and Hoyce Gracie was just, uh, you know, he was the guy that put martial arts, mixed martial arts on the map. He came in there, you know, scrawny, Brazilian, wasn't very big, and he was beating opponents two to three times his size wow. and um, utilizing the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And you know, the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's, it's a combat sport. It's a self-defense system that focuses on grappling, on the, on the ground fighting aspect of a fight. Most altercations start on the feet but they're ultimately going to end up on the ground. It's um, kind of like an adaptation of judo, and it promotes the concept that a smaller or weaker person can, you know, successfully defend themselves against somebody that's bigger and stronger with proper technique, leverage, and ultimately taking the fight down to the ground. Like I said earlier, you know, being a small female, the thought of if a larger male came up to me and was trying to hurt me, the thought of punching them in the face to defend myself, I'm probably going to end up breaking my hand before I do any type of serious damage to him. But if I'm able to get to the back to be able to sink in a choke to stop the blood from going to somebody's brain, it doesn't matter how big and strong you are. If you don't have blood pumping in your brain, you're going to pass out. So that's, that's really the, the beauty of Brazilian jiu-jitsu is that it allows the, the smaller person to overcome a, you know, a stronger, bigger person. And Hoyce Gracie, you know, really showed the world with that at the, you know, the, the start of the UFC. And, you know, the UFC, you see it all the time now. 
um, you know, on pay-per-views, on Fox Sports, and um, it's it's really one of the fastest-growing sports in the world. Yeah, it's huge. This is going to prompt me to ask the obvious question is, have you ever been in a real-life altercation? Um, I would say yes and no. Uh, when I was in about sixth grade, I'll never forget, I was at a at a party and this girl came up behind me and I don't usually wear my hair down very often. I, I put it in a ponytail and a cap and she really wanted to see me with my hair down and she came up behind me and started pulling my hair and it really hurt. I told her to stop and she wouldn't and uh, you know it just uh, kind of kicked in. I immediately turned around, took her down to the ground, got on top of her, mounted her and you know the beauty about jujitsu is that you know, it's not necessary to strike somebody. If you hit somebody, you know, you can, you know, break their nose, give them a black eye, bust their lip. Now, you know, we've got blood on the scene. Um, you know, with jujitsu, it allows you really just to control them and take them down to the ground and, you know, use positions to, you know, get on top of them and, you know, dominate them in that way where you're not really hurting them by striking them. So that's that's really the only type of altercation I've ever been in. Um, I really feel like the martial arts gives you a certain sense of confidence when you've been training in it long enough and you really don't have anything to prove. If, if somebody came up to me out on the street, you know, my initial reaction would be to use my words to get out of it. One of the things that I noticed when I, you know, was watching your fights uh, with that, there is an immense amount of respect for the opponent. So, you know, I saw it, you know, I saw a, a time where I think so the girl that you were fighting, like had gotten you into an arm hold and, you know, you had to tap out, but you guys like, you weren't angry at each other. Like you literally like bowed down, you respected each other afterwards. You were happy, like you were happy for her. What, like what kind of camaraderie is really there in, during somebody's career when they're sort of on the mat fighting? Sure. You know, I think uh, I think that's one of the really special things about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu compared to really any other, you know, sport. You know, it is an individual sport, but it's also a team sport because if you don't have somebody to grapple with, then <laughs> you can't grapple. Um, and, you know, the, the, the beauty about it is there's just a certain level of respect that you, uh, you know, that, that is created when you're on the mat and you are literally trying to subdue somebody, you know, by trying to break their arm or trying to break their leg or choking them out. And it's just, uh, it's a camaraderie that is like, you know, no other because, yes, you are physically really trying to hurt each other, but once you tap, it's over. And, you know, you both know the immense amount of training that went into it, you know, and it's not just the physical, you know, training. I, I think people don't really understand the, uh, the mental training that it really takes to know that you're about to step out on the mat. You know, you could seriously get injured. You could seriously injure somebody else. Um, you know, and you're really laying it all out on the line. And, you know, that's definitely one thing that you see as tournaments is, you know, prior to, uh, you know, the competition, you know, you're mentally preparing, you know, you're watching your competitors, you know, you're seeing, you're checking out your opponents, you're getting out there and you want to hurt them as badly as you can. And then when it's over, you do that. You high five, you hug each other. And, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's been plenty of times where, you know, you see people grappling and in the midst of trying to hurt each other, one just pulls off an awesome move. And I, I've seen it so many times watching my own, you know, students compete and myself compete. And you have to say, like, hey, man, that was an awesome move that you just pulled off because you both know, you know, uh, you know how hard you worked and, uh, you know, every, everything that's been laid out on the line.
So you mentioned this, and I'm going to ask this question because I think it's pertinent to the, to the business aspect that we're going to get in here, uh, get into here pretty soon. But you know, what have you done to actually train yourself mentally and emotionally to be able to participate in those fights? Because I'm sure a lot of that stuff has been easily translatable to the growing the business. So like what kind of exercises or, you know, habits have you developed over these years that enabled you to be very strong emotionally and mentally for these for these fights? Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, you know, the mental preparation that comes into, you know, getting ready for a competition or a fight is, you know, the exact mental preparation that's needed to run a successful business. Um, you know, fortunately, what's, what's pretty cool is I've surrounded myself with some of the top players in the industry. And there's actually, um, you know, like sport combative mental training seminars that, that we can go to that um, teach you how to put your brain in the best possible situation for what's about to happen. And, you know, something, you know, as simple as, you know, positive visualizations. That's, you know, one of the very first things that we talk about with our students is every single day when you wake up and before you go to bed at night, you know, visualizing yourself winning. You know, if uh, you think you can and you think you can't, you're right. And, you know, that, that goes with your business and that also goes with your training. So, you know, the you know having just constant positive visualizations of the, you know, the outcomes that you want of, you know, when you're in a fight, you know, dominating on your feet with your strikes, being able to take them down to the ground, dominating on the ground with submissions, um, you know, getting your hand raised by, you know, the referee. Um, when my students are, you know, preparing for, you know, competitions, we'll turn off all the lights, we'll have them close their eyes on the mat, and we will take them step by step um, through, you know, what they're going to be going through from the second they wake up the morning of the competition to, you know, understanding how to control your nerves because that's that's a part of competition. Everybody gets nervous, even, you know, the you know top competitors of the world still get nervous. So, you know, learning how to control that. Um, one, one really important thing is, is making the environment that you're training in, um, you know, as close as possible to the exact environment that you're competing in. So, you know, when you go to a competition in a tournament, there's thousands of people watching and screaming and fans. And, you know, so prior to competitions, you know, for my children, I'll actually have the parents get on the mat and make as much noise as they can and cheer them on and scream to really, uh, you know, um, imitate the exact, you know, environment that they're going to be in when they are training. And, you know, the more you do that, the more you, you know, simulate the exact environment that you're going to be competing in, the, the more natural it's going to feel when, you know, competition, you know, comes. Um, I, you know, favorite quote of mine is the most prepared or the most dedicated. And it's, you know, really important to me, not only in, you know, training with the martial arts, but also, you know, with my businesses, is before a competition knowing and, and absolutely being able to say that I did everything in my power to do the best job that I can, whether that was, you know, eating as clean as I can, not going out, not partying, staying up late, you know, training two to three times a day, surrounding myself with, you know, positive people, with people that are going to push me to do better. You know, those are all things that not only are you going to use to get yourself, you know, ready for a fight, but that's also going to help you be successful in business as well. So let's get right into that. You opened up Gracie Pack MMA, and Pack is uh, parents and children. Um, obviously, under the Gracie name, you are the largest. Um, mixed martial arts studio in all of Tampa Bay. So why did you decide to open that organization? Why did you decide to actually start teaching and doing that rather than just being a fighter yourself? 
Sure. Um, well, there's a couple of different reasons. I, I graduated from the from USF with uh, my degree in elementary education. And when uh, I was in my, my final internship at USF, I really realized that I hated teaching in the classroom. And I said, this is not what I want to do. Honestly, one of the biggest appearance for me was the fact that I had to wake up super early. I am just not a morning person <laughs> at all. And I was like, there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. Wake up early in the morning, be stuck in a classroom. Yes, I enjoy, you know, teaching children. But what I really enjoyed was teaching children and being on the mat. Um, I started assisting instructing as young as age 12. I was a head instructor of my Taekwondo school by age 16. Um, you know, and it's it's really all I've ever known is, is teaching and, and helping other people. And I was... Um, I was working at my, my, my previous school, which is Gracie Tampa. So Gracie Pack and MA were kind of like a franchise off of Gracie Tampa. And I was, uh, you know, working for my instructor at the time. His name's Rob Kahn. And Rob was actually Hoist Gracie's very first black belt. And Rob has been one of my best friends and my instructors for the past 10 years. And we developed an amazing relationship working together. And I actually became co-owner of the children's program there. I took his kids program from four kids to 120 kids. And, um, you know, completely on my own, teaching all of the classes, doing all of the, you know, the business end on my own. And I was also his manager. And I was scrolling on Facebook one day and I saw this quote that said, if you don't follow your dreams, someone will hire you to help build theirs. Mm. And it was at that exact moment where the light bulb just kind of clicked. And I knew it was, you know, it was time. It was it was time for me to go on and, and do my own thing. I put in my dues, you know, working for Rob and being able to run his school was, you know, basically like a mini education. It was like a going to college for, you know, being in the martial arts and, and running somebody else's school and knowing the positive things that worked and the things that, uh, you know, I thought, you know, needed to change. So I approached him and it was right about the time that he was about to award me my black belt. And, um, you know, he, uh, he knew I had put in my time and gave me uh you know, his blessing. And his school is, you know, only about 15 minutes away from mine. We actually have six different locations, Gracie Tampa locations in the area. Um, and mine is really kind of, you know, the niche for families and for kids training. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, by the age of about 11, I was already starting to draw up, you know, plans uh, of what I wanted my ultimate martial arts school to look like. So, um, I really knew that this is what I was going to be uh, doing for the rest of my life. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm 29 years old right now. And to see where it's, uh, you know, just come in the last two years, we, you know, we opened in September of 2012. And just to see what we could do in, in two years, you know, quadrupling our space, having a, you know, a solid student base um, has, has literally been a dream come true. So let's talk about like what it took for you to actually start that. Did you, I mean, when you went out on your own, were you literally, literally starting with zero students and now had, had to build it from there? Or did you have people who kind of came with you? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to learn the importance of developing relationships, not only with the children, but also with the parents. You know, I mean, just typical grassroots, grassroots marketing. And, you know, I, I mean, I could literally name every single one of my students for you right now. And I, I really, it's, it's super important to me to, you know, develop a very strong bond with them. And when I decided to leave the, the, you know, our Gracie Temple location and open up on my own, I actually had 97% of my student base follow me. Holy cow. Um, 
So, yes, I was, I was very, very fortunate for that. And I was also very fortunate to, you know, to have an instructor like Rob who, you know, realized that I was the one who really built the program and, you know, it was my baby and he let me, you know, take those students. And uh, you I know, was going to say, was there, was there any bad blood there. because of that? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, I actually have a lunch meeting with him today. Gotcha. Um, you know, we have a, a great working relationship as well as a friendship. And, um, you know, I think he knew that, you know, like I said, it was my baby. It was something that I grew from four students. I taught the classes all on my own, um, you know, implemented, you know, a, a, just a, a full martial arts program from summer camps to, you know, after school to, you know, events and, you know, parties for the kids and stuff like that. It's, you know, not just kind of a facility that you show up and train. It's it's really like a full lifestyle. So, um, when I started, I, you know, had a little over 100 students, um, you know, ready to go. And these were, you know, relationships that I had built for about eight years. I worked for Rob for about eight years building that program. Wow. So what's your actual business model? Like, how is revenue coming into your business? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, we mainly generate re- revenue through our membership. So, you know, think of like if you went to, you know, Lifestyles and you wanted to purchase a membership. You know, we have you know, memberships, and we also have add-ons. So we have, like, your typical martial arts membership where you can train, you know, like three days a week. You can take three classes. Um, You know, we've got that. We've got add-on programs if you want to add judo to your programs or wrestling to your programs or kids CrossFit to your programs. Um, So, you know, we mainly generate revenue through memberships, also through merchandise. You know, you've got to, uh, you've got to, you know, purchase our uniforms, our T-shirts, our equipment. You know, you've got to have the proper gear, just as with any sport. Um, we started building an after-school program, which is really my main goal for the 2014-2015 school year. Um, a lot of these martial arts schools in the area solely um, generate their revenues through after-school programs. Um, you know, they've got 30, 40 after-schoolers. They pick them up in vans. Um, most of them, unfortunately, are kind of just like a glorified babysitting program. Um, and what I'm really looking to do is just, you know, take it to the next level. We can survive as a martial arts school just based off of our memberships. We don't have to have an after-school program, but I really think it's going to be the cherry on top, um, you know, to offer, you know, A-plus homework assistance. You know, I like I said, I have my degree in elementary education. I'm a certified Hillsborough County teacher. So being able to, you know, really look over the kids and help them with their homework to offering world-class martial arts instruction. You know, they're, they're getting it straight from the source, straight from the Gracie family, you know, really learning how to defend themselves, um, you know, and, and to offer with the type of facility that we have, we have 6,000 square feet downstairs for training and 6,000 square feet upstairs for our after-school program. So we have a student lounge with TVs and Xboxes and Playstations and air hockey tables. You know, we've got a learning center and a library. So the entire upstairs is, uh, you you know, really geared for uh, building and developing our after-school program and just offering, you know, so much more than your typical daycare. So the after-school program is my is really my main focus now that we're in this huge new facility and, you know, we can house it. We also do summer camps. We run uh, eight weeks of summer camp, you know, throughout the summer. We do uh, monthly events such as, like, Ninja Nerf Wars where the parents yeah, can drop their great. kids off for six hours. And we do Nerf Wars. We do parent date nights once a month. Um, you know, where the, the parents drop them off and they can go out and, and enjoy themselves, you know, go out to the movies, go out and have dinner and, you know, know that their kids are, you know, in a safe environment. They're learning awesome martial arts and they're also um, having a blast. I figured parent date night might be dad versus mom or, you know, parent versus parent <laughs> on the mat. So 
<laughs> yeah, no, we we just you know have them drop the kids off and they love it. I mean, we you know we get parents begging, when's the next parent date night? When's the parent, <laughs> next parent date night? One thing I I do want to mention is that yes, you have this twelve thousand square foot facility now, and I I definitely want to build into how you got there, but you didn't start off that way. And I really want to bring this point to light because there are a lot of people who might be listening who want to start their own kind of membership-based organization, whether it's for kids or whether it's for people in the business world or whatever it is. And um, and, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, she went right away into this 12,000 square foot facility. That's got to take a lot of capital, but you didn't start there. So tell everyone how you started when you first left Rob's place and how you built that up to get into your new facility. Sure. Well, um, you know, I knew that it was going to be really, really important for me to keep a low overhead. You know, even knowing that I was going to have 100 students right off the bat, it was still terrifying for me. You know, I'm a woman that is in a male-dominated business. You can really count on one hand the number of, you know, women who own mixed martial arts schools in the entire country. Um, so it was really important to me to keep overhead low, and I did so by moving into a 24-hour fitness facility that had uh, two vacant rooms for rent, and one was you know, currently being used for a Zumba class, and the other one already had a boxing ring in it with bags, and they kind of just offered like boxing memberships at this, um, at this fitness facility where people could just go in, and if they wanted to hit the bags, they could, but they didn't offer any type of classes or anything like that, so... I, um, the, actually, one of the, the sons of uh, the Coulters, he was training with me, and I developed a relationship with his parents, and they were looking to rent out the room, so I rented out these two rooms that were each about 1,500 square feet, um, you know, inside the 24-hour, you know, facility, and, you know, it was phenomenal. You know, I didn't have to pay an electric bill. I didn't have to pay a water bill. I didn't have to pay a trash pickup bill. I didn't have to pay for, you know, paper towels and toilet paper. <laughs> um, you know, that's one thing, you know, now that we're in this new building, the amount of money I've spent alone on toilet paper and paper <laughs> towels uh, just in a week, you know, for, for these kids makes my jaw drop, you know. So, you know, those were tons of, you know, small expenses, you know, and especially an electric bill. Um, you know, not having to worry about that, um, that, you know, was absolutely awesome. I didn't have to worry about cleaning toilets or bathrooms or, you know, anything like that. It was all, you know, really taken care of, um, you know. So there was definitely a lot of positives, you know, with subleasing a room at, at this gym. And, you know, technically any one of their members could be potential clients for me too. You know, I mean, how many people get sick of running on a treadmill or going on an elliptical? They're looking for an exciting new way to lose weight. And, you know, how many of those people have kids? And, you know, I mean, how great is it too to be able to have your child train? You can train in the other room. That was really important to me to have two separate training rooms so we could run multiple classes at the same time. And even if a parent that, you know, didn't want to train in the martial arts, if they just wanted to lift weights or they didn't want to get on the treadmill, they could go work out while their children, you know, were, were taking classes. So it's kind of killing two birds with one stone, which, um, you know, is just an, it's just an awesome way to start up, you know. Now, of course, there's some downsides to subleasing. You know, it's not your building. It was also a 24-hour facility, so at any time, you know, people had access to the gym. And, you know, we had our own closed doors, but, you know, I had uh, an iPad stolen. We got broken into one time, um, you know. So there was also some downsides to, you know, subleasing. But, I mean, ultimately, as a startup, I could not have uh, – you know, I, I could not have made a better decision by starting in that 24-hour facility. 
what is one of the lessons that you have learned about running a kids-focused program? Um, you know, with children, one thing that I think is really awesome is that they're the most honest creatures <laughs> in, in the world. And it's really important that you always lead by example, because if you're not, you know, a kid, they will immediately call you out for it. Um, you know, and another thing is, even though you might just have one student, it's really three students, because it's not only, you know, the child, you're also developing a relationship with mom and dad. So it's really a full family affair. Um, I absolutely love working with the kids. And, you know, from that, I have developed some great um, adult relationships, you know, with their parents as well. What kind of stuff do you have to think about as far as like liability for the kids? I mean, you're doing physical activity. There's always a potential for, you know, somebody to get hurt. Like what kind of specific things do you need to think about as a physical martial arts studio that, you know, maybe somebody who's a business consultant may not have to think about? You know, what we did is I had a, a very, very good lawyer. It was one of our wrestling coaches. Um, he drafted a very solid liability form for me that has to be signed. It's actually three pages long, um, you know, and it's got every little possible stipulation that you could possibly think of in there. It's got to be signed by the parents uh, prior to their, you know, child stepping on the mat. And we also have to have martial arts insurance, which is, uh, you know, it can be pretty costly. It's based off the number of students you have. So the more students you have, the higher the cost is. Um, you know, and that's a, a yearly payment that you have to, you know, make sure that you do. And, you know, if, if you are getting sued, your martial arts insurance will cover it, you know, depending on the type of coverage you have. Um, I'll, you know, I'll let you know out of, you know, the, the two years that we've been open here and, you know, the, you know, 10 plus years that I've been teaching kids martial arts, I've only had two incidents. One incident where a child was getting taken down and he reached for his fall and he broke his arm. He was out for a couple of months, and he came immediately back, and he started training again. He just didn't fall properly. And another incident where a girl was doing a somersault, and she kind of jammed her shoulder into the mat as she was trying to do a somersault, one of my teenagers, and she broke her collarbone. Um, you know, so, I mean, 10 years and only having, you know, those two types of incidents um, occur, you know, really shows the attention to detail that we you know, we give to our members, making sure that they are doing everything as safely as possible. Um, you know, I teach about 32 classes a week. And the reason wow. why I teach that many classes is because my classes are broken up, not only by their age, but also by their skill level. And, you know, the reason why that it's incredibly important is that every, you know, you know, three-year-old learns a lot different from a five-year-old, and a five-year-old learns a lot different from an eight-year-old. Um, you know, they're just at different developmental stages, but it also keeps my class sizes very low as well. And, you know, that's that's very important. You know, the, the if you have 40 kids on a mat in a class, you know, it, somebody's going to get hurt. So we keep our class numbers low by offering, as you know, as many as we can. Now, you're teaching all these classes, but you also have an entire team of people who are helping manage and run this company. You have 11 folks who are part of your team. Can you talk a little bit about what it truly takes to make sure that everyone's on the same page, that everyone is doing their particular duties? Like how, what is your management style and how are you making sure that your company is moving forward with your team? You know, it's actually been one of my biggest growing pains is learning how to let go. 
Um, I am an only child. I am a control freak. And I really had that attitude when I first started, like, nobody can do it as good as me, so I'm just going to do it all myself. And, you know, I mean, what is that going to get you? It's going to get you burnt out. And, mm. you know, that started happening. And I really had to just start, you know, trusting my staff members and letting go. And um, I have a phenomenal operations manager who happens to be the father of my two godsons, who happen to be my top two students. So it's very much a family affair here, and he's definitely taken over, um, you know, a large portion of the, of the managing, um, you know, aspect for me. I also have a marketing manager, my, my partner. Her name is Stephanie. She, you know, helps me with all the advertising and marketing. And we have about eight coaches. Um, you know, on the coaching side, what's really important is that they get the proper training. So we have instructor training. Um, you know, certifications, they all have to go through, you know, our instructor training certification course in order to teach. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very um, a stickler about, you know, teaching the, you know, our curriculum and the way that, you know, I want it taught. So we do like a 10 week long course um, that all of our instructors have to go through. Um, you know, it meets on Saturdays. It can run anywhere from two to four hours. And we go over just, you know, the ABCs on running the perfect class, um, you know, and, and also having systems for anything that possibly could happen. You know, we've got a system that somebody gets injured. you got to fill out an injury report. You know, we've got, you know, a system for all of our coaches on, you know, how to run a class on, you know, maintaining attendance. Um, you know, one of, one of the biggest things that's definitely helped us are monthly staff meetings. I wasn't doing that in the beginning, and we just recently started doing that. And it, it can be tough trying to get all 11 people in the room at the same time. But when we do it, you know, just all of the ideas that bounce off of each other, you know, has, has really helped to, you know, grow um, our facility and just being super creative, um, you know, with each other and coming up with awesome new ideas, you know, to grow our business. Like uh, we just started a member appreciation day um, that we do once a month that the members absolutely love. We actually had the fire department come down. This was last week. They came down with their fire truck. We had a photo booth set up, which the kids loved. They had all these different silly props that they could go in and take, uh, you know, photo uh, you know, pictures of themselves. We had a hot dog cart stand set up. We raffled away a PlayStation 4. We raffled away free massages, um, you know, and that was all ideas that came out of our monthly staff meeting to have the, you know, the, the member appreciation day. So it's definitely been difficult for me to kind of let go, but it's something that I, I know I have to do, not only just for myself and my own sanity, but also, you know, for the benefit of the school. Do you ever have moments of feeling completely overwhelmed and like completely frozen from all of the different things that you're doing? Because I, I know a lot of times like we as, you know, the, kind of the the driving forces of our companies are so busy kind of doing the things that we need to get done and simultaneously like building out and delegating and building out and delegating and all that sort of stuff. It, it, do you ever have moments where you're just completely overwhelmed and, you know, just kind of don't know what to do? Sure. Uh, I'm not af afraid to admit, um, you know, there there are times where I feel like the whole world is on my shoulders and, you know, not just with, you know, maintaining, you know, a successful business, but the importance of maintaining a successful personal life as yeah. well, um, you know, and, and being able to balance the two of those, you know, can be very difficult. And I'll be honest, there's been times where I've just kind of had to close my office door and cry it out and just let it out. 
And um, I'm very fortunate in having a, a partner, her name's Stephanie, that, you know, really, um, really helps me and listens to me and supports me and is there for me anytime where I'm, I'm feeling, you know, like the whole world is, is coming down on me. And she's incredibly positive, um, you know, which I can sometimes be a little bit of a pessimist. And, um, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. We just got our very first electric bill from Tico. And oh, you boy. take a 12,000 square foot facility, you know, what, uh, you know, how, how expensive that's going to be. And I went from never having an electric bill. And my very first Tico bill was $820. Wow. And, um, yeah, that's a lot of money for an electric bill. And, you know, I was really upset about it. And I went to her and, you know, her response was, well, look at it this way. That's the highest it's ever going to be. You're <laughs> in the dead of summer. Right. You're in the dead of summer. We're just learning how to figure out, you know, when the best times to turn on the ACs are. We actually had to replace one of the AC units because there's actually six AC units in this entire facility. Oh, my goodness. And one of them was from 1982. Whoa. I wasn't even born yet. Um, you know, so we had to switch that AC out, which, you know, probably wasn't, uh, you know, generating, you know, very efficient, you know, um, you know, air for us. And um, on top of that, we have our summer camp. So, you know, we're here from 630 in the morning all the way till 10 o'clock at night and the ACs have to be on. So, you know, her response, well, just, you know, look at the bright side. It's never going to be higher than that. This is the busiest time of year for you. You know, so being able to have somebody, you know, be that little extra bit of sunshine for you when everything's kind of feeling, you know, dreary, um, you know, it definitely made this, um, you know, this transition over to, you know, this size of business in school much, much easier. That's awesome. Now, you guys work together as well. What is that dynamic like working together? Like, what have you guys had to put in place in order to make sure that you sort of maintain this personal and professional relationship? I work my, with my husband. I work with my spouse, too. So I, I'm i going to nod my head at just about everything I know you're about to say. But what do you like? What have you guys had to do in order to make that personal and professional relationship work? Sure. You know, it's actually it's funny. She's sitting right next to me and we're, we're in our office and I'm, Hi, I got my desk on the left and she's got her desk on the right. And um, I'm not a, I'm not an easy person. Um, you know, I'm sure she'd agree, you know, with you if, you know, you asked her that. Um, you is know, she nodding her head in the background? Yeah, she is. She's nodding her head. She's got a big smile on her face. Um, you know, and, and what's, you know, what's, what's cool about the, you know, working together is one, she has a passion for massage and, um, she also has a passion for fitness. So we've been able to kind of incorporate that into our business. We offer massage therapy now at our school, which is really great. Um, and, you know, our two children also train here. So it's not only, you know, like we're working here, we're also training here. We both take classes here. You know, it's, it's really a family affair. And, you know, what's super important for us is that, you know, when we leave, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, we don't have a nine to five. We have a when your eyes open in the morning to when your eyes shut at night. Um, but what's really important to us is when we get home is we kind of, you know, leave it at the gym. Um, you know, we still, you know, if we need to talk stuff about stuff, we talk about stuff, but we have a rule like once we're home, um, you know, and once, we're, you know, the, the door shuts, it's, you know, family time. And, um, you know, being able to really just kind of shut that off, um, you know, especially like when we go on vacations and stuff like that, um, you know, has definitely helped you know, helped us with working together. But, you know, I mean, we still, you know, we still bicker and, uh, you know, she has her ideas and I have my ideas and, you know, just, um, you know, trying to, uh, trying to be as positive about both of them as, you know, been something we've been working on. 
Chris, what kind of stuff do you do to make sure that you are constantly staying strategic about the leader, uh, being the leader of your company? Because you teaching 30 some odd classes, you're, you are in the grind of your business. I mean, you're working in it. What do you do to make sure that you're constantly kind of looking out and looking above and looking forward? Um, well, I mean, I think any great entrepreneur knows you've got to read. Um, you know, I think that's when I ever kind of feel like I'm I'm kind of stagnating or um, you know not coming up with you know creative new ideas. It's usually because I don't have a book in my hand. Um, so I think that's you know in, incredibly important um, is to you know constantly just you know look for you know new knowledge. Um, you know, my my uh, search for knowledge didn't end when I graduated from USF. So. That's one thing I really try to stay up on my game is, you know, is, is reading, you know, you know, business books. And I also um, have a, a morning ritual that uh, I complete every single morning. I think that is incredibly important for anybody to that is running a business makes their own morning ritual. Um, you know, the very first thing that I do when I roll out of bed is I, you know, I go to my journal and I write uh, my to-do list. I have a journal that I write 10 things in that I'm grateful for. I think it's so easy, um, you know, to really focus on all the things that we don't have, you know, especially in our business or, you know, the, the things that we're still aspiring for that, you know, we really don't focus on all of the great things that we do have. Um, you know, so I write 10 things, um, you know, that I'm grateful for. And I also write 10 goals of my day. And, um, and, I, and I write it in the, you know, first person as if, you know, I've already done it, um, you know. And then on top of that, my morning ritual includes, um, you know, social media marketing, getting on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, on our blog, posting every single day. Um, you know, I also send out a, a daily email to somebody that I haven't spoken to in a while that I want to make sure that I keep up with, you know, those, those connections. Um, so the importance of a morning ritual has really, you know, helped me stay focused. Um, and, you know, just consistently reading is really what's helped with, you know, get the creative juices flowing. I want to kind of conclude this conversation by asking you, where do you see your business going? Like, what is the what is the big vision of your company? How do you want it to scale? Like, what do you want your mark to be with your business? Sure. Now, it's funny you ask that. I, I recently had a, a friend that I trained with come to my school, and he checked it out for the first time. And he asked me, he's like, so do you, do you finally feel like you have arrived? And my initial reaction was, hell no, I don't feel like I arrived. <laughs> I feel like I am in the infancy of, you know, my business. If, you know, I, I feel like I'm at a two, I'm, I'm reaching to be a 10. And, um, you know, my ultimate goals is really just to grow our, our program, our membership with additional programs, um, offering yoga and Zumba. We're starting a kids CrossFit program, which has become very, very popular, adding massage, you know, hopefully having a chiropractic office here. And I just really want to be known as as the martial arts and wellness hub of Tampa. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You obviously are just so excited and so positive and so passionate about what you're doing. And I just commend you for all this, all the programming that you're building out for the community here. And um, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story. Well, thank you, Katie. I really appreciate it. And had a great time today. The show notes for today's show are waiting for you at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 73. I really loved her takeaway of 
doing her morning ritual and writing down 10 things that she's grateful for, writing down what her 10 goals are for the day and doing those in present tense as if she's accomplished them at the end of the day. It said so much about kind of that mentality, that that mental discipline and the emotional discipline that you have to have as as a martial artist and obviously as a business owner as well. I just thought that that was very fascinating. So thanks so much for being here with me today. I will see you on the next episode. No joke, I was seriously looking at Chris's YouTube videos of her fighting and I'm a little scared to go to her location. (laughs) That girl can fight. Woo!